What famous World War II leader's grandfather was once known as the King of Wall Street? And what is the worst ever toy-related environmental catastrophe? Whoa, that sounds <laughs> really awful. Okay, answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. So, a quarter of a century ago, it was the worst environmental catastrophe that Uh, was related to toys? Yes. On February 13, 1997, a giant wave swept 4.8 million Lego pieces into the waters (laughs) 20 miles off Cornwell in the U.K., A quarter of a century later, the plastic toys are still washing up on England's southwestern shores. Oh, dear. Can you imagine? Yeah. They've estimated that the pieces could have already drifted 62,000 miles across the world's oceans. And roughly 3.2 million of the lost Legos are light enough to float, which means the other 1.6 million have ended up on the seabed. According to a 2020 study, it will take 1,300 years for the Legos lost at sea to fully break down. Now, we were talking about this beforehand, but this isn't the only thing that was bad on that ship. There were No, there uh, were. Super glue and disposable lighters went out. Oh, so there dear. are thousands of those all floating out there. And I've already, you know, come up on shore. If you ever are walking along and say, how did we get all this here? That's yeah, Shipping containers. Car- shipping containers. I'm sure there are tons of things that have fallen off container ships over the years and oh, ended up in the ocean. Absolutely. In the 80s, uh, a container ship lost... A, a shipment of Garfield phones, you know, Garfield the cat. Telephones? Yeah, and they <laughs> washed ashore in France for years and years. Oh, dear. Imagine going to France for the beauty and wind up seeing Garfield phones on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> on the beach. Yeah. Coming up on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Thank you, Marsh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what is that noise? Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Okay, Marcia, what famous World War II leader's grandfather was once known as the King of Wall Street? World War II... Famous World War II leader's okay. grandfather. I don't know that many. Okay, we'll say patents. Patent. Okay. No? Okay. Who? You probably would think it was Roosevelt, right? Because he was a famous World War II and leader. And rich. And rich, and his family goes back in American yes. history. But it's actually Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah? We forget many times Winston Churchill was half American. His mother was American. Right. Uh, So his American financier grandfather, Leonard Jerome, made a fortune with railroads. He was friends and business partners of the Vanderbilts. He helped found one of New York's first opera houses, and he helped launch thoroughbred horse racing in America. That was all Winston Churchill's grandfather Ah. and was known as the King of Wall Street. He had four daughters, three of whom married British people. They were the million-dollar princesses of the 19th century. Oh, wow. okay. They inspired the character of Cora Crawley, Lady Grantham. Oh, yeah, sure. In Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. And the very first of those billion or million-dollar princesses was 
Winston Churchill's mother, beautiful 19-year-old Jenny Jerome. She was 19 when she met the dashing and handsome 24-year-old Lord Randolph Spencer Churchill at a grand ball. They fell in love. In three days, they were engaged. Sounds like us. Whirlwind, whirlwind. (laughs) Whirlwind. Yes, sir. How rich was Churchill's mother's American family? Ah, millionaires. Very many times over, I'm going to describe their home. This is the home she grew up in. Jerome Mansion, it had a 600-seat theater in it, oh. in, the, in the home. Wow. A breakfast room which seated 70 people, a ballroom of white and gold with champagne and cologne spouting fountains, and a view of Madison Square Park. That's how rich Winston Churchill's mother's family was, yeah. and they were Americans. Okay, Bob, here's something. Why do we now say... Kiev instead of Kiev. It's because the citizens of Ukraine wanted to change its name because Kiev is what the Russians use. Yes. And Kiev is what the Ukrainians have used. Good for you. That's the pronunciation of the Ukrainians, but it's called the Russification uh, when the uh, Russians wanted it to be more Russian sounding. So they gave it that pronunciation, Kiev, and it worked. We all pronounced it Kiev until this crisis there. Right. And uh and now we all have started to say Kiev. As the Soviet Union unraveled in 1991, Ukraine declared its independence, and the country has been working to supplant the name ever since. And it was a famous city in ancient times. You know, the uh, Vikings had a settlement there in Kiev. They were there. I've got a question for you regarding that. How does the Russian economy compare to the European Union? How does it compare in, give me... S- in terms of size. In terms of size. How much bigger is the European Union economy than the Russian economy? Okay. Well, the Russians haven't got a lot going for it except the oil, right? So I'll say it's 63% more. It's 10 times bigger. The European Union economy is 10 times bigger than Russia's, and only 5% of EU exports go to Russia, but 50% of Russia's exports go to the EU. All right. I got a question on a city. What is the brightest city on Earth, Marsha? From space? From space. Uh, don't laugh. I'll say it again. Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> you just love that city. I do. Uh, is it? No, it's, it's not. It's not uh, Hong Kong? Nope. And this is according to NASA. Very Think of a city with bright lights. and I, Oh, Paris. It's the city of light. Darn it. Well, I know that, okay. but... This is a city that never sleeps. Okay. Las Vegas. Las Vegas doesn't even have clocks. It's really, it's not even that casinos. big, but it's with all those neon lights. Never occurred to me. 80% of the world's population lives in a place lit by artificial light at night, but according to NASA, nowhere do those lights shine brighter than Las Vegas. It's a city with neon signs, bright marquees. They offer around the clock lighting that can be seen in outer space. And the brightest of these is the sky beam atop the Luxor Hotel Pyramid. It's the brightest light powered by 39 7,000-watt ultra-bright xenon lamps. How many? 39 7,000-watt ultra-bright xenon lamps. It also has curved mirrors that collect their light and focus them into the uh, strongest beam of light. So not only can it be seen from space, but the sky beam provides enough illumination to read a book from 10 miles out in space. Now that's bright. Uh, God. I should have thought of that. I read that once and totally forgot it. Okay, you're a Wisconsinite now, Bob. Why is cheese made in a wheel? 
you ever wonder that? You ever see those big wheels of cheese? Yeah. What the hell's with that? The cheese wheels. <laughs> the cheese well, wheels. Well, isn't it like a long log that they just cut off the wheels at the end? No, no. No? The aging and ripening of cheese happens when the cheese is left to absorb salt as well as mold. It's part of the process, the ripening process. And if the cheese is in a shape of a wheel, the mold tends to distribute more evenly in the cheese. If the cheese has edges for it to collect around. So that's good to know. A cheese wheel also provides a better structure for the rind to form, which helps protect the cheese from insects, undesirable bacteria, or other contaminants. (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating cheese questions from Marsha. All right. I have a question about a uh, famous landmark. It's Niagara Falls. Uh How many swimming pools worth of water flow over Niagara Falls every minute? Well, how big is the swimming pool? Well, we're talking about Olympic swimming pools. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that makes it much easier then. That didn't help you, did it? (laughs) No, it didn't. Little smarty pants. (laughs) My pants are smart. Thank you. What is the answer? How many swimming pools worth of water? No multiple choice? No. Okay. I will say... 848,000. No, that's way too much. Oh, okay. 70 Olympic swimming pools of water flow over Niagara Falls each minute. That's more than 6 million cubic feet of water. Oh, a minute. See, you didn't say a minute. I wouldn't have said that huge number. See, but that's okay. That's fascinating, Bob. Thank you. Just as fascinating as cheese, Marsh. I have to tell you that. (laughs) All right. What state has the largest salary gap, Bob, between men and women. I'm going to say something like Alabama or something like that. Yeah, but no, this is going to surprise you. It's the equality state. Oh, Wyoming. That's right. We talked about the first place to allow women to vote is also got a 35% difference between the wages of women and men. How about that? Well, shame on them. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, And the smallest Uh, You want to guess which state has the smallest difference? I'll bet it's a state like Massachusetts or something like that. Well, you're close. It's in that vicinity. Vermont. Yes. Vermont? Percent. And there's one profession, Bob, across the board with the biggest gap, 45%. What profession? Is it in law enforcement? No. Is it in the military? No. Is it in industry? No. Is it in education? (laughs) No. What is it? Lawyers. Really? Yes, 45% difference. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that interesting? Well, well, well. well. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to ask you, what city has the longest and shortest days in the United States? Where do they occur? The longest... Is it in Alaska somewhere? Yes, it is. It's in Alaska somewhere. It's those long days and nights. It's in the northernmost state in the country. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the northernmost community. Oh, I don't know. Never been there. Is is Juno up there? Is Not it that far. Anchorage? No. No. Uh, I don't. Uh, it's Klondike or it's Barrow, Alaska. The sun stays up from May until August. Oh Lord! So a day lasts over two months. This distinctive type of unending daylight is called the midnight sun, and it's only found in areas located above the Arctic Circle. And approximately 33% of Alaska lies above the Arctic Circle. So makes for some pretty intense days. 
It also has one of the longest nights from mid-November through January. The sun never fully rises above the horizon. So it's over two months of dim twilight. Two months of twilight, yeah, but you, not blackness. Well, so. it's dark. You never really see the sun. It's just twilight. Wow. It's got to do a lot to you and change it, your, it your has perception to of things. mess with your head, don't you think? I would think so. Yeah. Okay. All right, this is from my great big book of Guinness World Records. Okay. <laughs> Give me a ballpark number, Bob, on how much Canadian Derivez Slovic can lift with his pinky finger. This is a, <laughs> this is a world's record? Yes, it is. A He's, Canadian, and his yeah. name is Darius what? Derivez Slovic. Derivez Slovic. Yes, he can lift. Something with his pinky. Yes. How much weight? I'm going to say 100, well, I'm going to say 220 pounds. Oh, my God. Yes. 233 pounds. All Very right. Good. You are close enough. It's the same weight as an adult panda, in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is this guy's claim to fame. All right, go ahead. All right, is there any truth to the Pinocchio story? Oh, that's curious. About, well, you know, your nose growing yeah. if you lie. I wouldn't think you'd ask it unless there was. Yes, there is truth to it, Bob. Okay, and Why? Well, that's your... What happens? Well, maybe your blood vessels expand a little when you're lying, and that increases the size of your schnoz. That's kind of the deal. Yes, because technically when a person lies, the nose does grow larger. That means that there is some truth to the Pinocchio story. When a person lies, tissue in the nose engorges. Ah. Now, the swelling isn't as dramatic as Pinocchio's, but it does produce histamine which causes the nose to itch. So an itchy nose can indicate lying because your nose tissues are swelling. Bigger and itchier when you lie. I notice you, you itch a lot. You're, you're scratching your nose a lot around here. I'm doing it right now. Okay. And here's another question, Marcia. Okay. What did psychologists learn about marriage from photographs? You know what I would say? Because I often look at pictures of... Uh, photographs, people getting married, or if they're touching or not, cozy. Okay. If they're touching, I personally believe that bodes well for their future. That sounds good. That sounds good. But it's good. not right. It's not what it is, but it is something that uh, psychologists say predicts a successful marriage more than not, mm -hmm. and that is smiling. And th that was my other thing I was going to say. Yeah. After poring over family photos and rating the smiles of their test subjects, Psychologists have determined that 90% of the biggest smilers stay married, while roughly 30% of the frowners, or less than <laughs> smiles, get divorced. All right. Around the World in 80 Days. We're watching that series right now, aren't we, on PBS, I think. Mm -hmm. So what is the most unique way it's been done? What, go going around the world? Yeah, in 80 days. The most unique way to go around the world in 80 days. It has been done. Well, it's... they did it in balloons, you know. Yeah. High-altitude yeah. balloons. Mark Beaumont, age 39, went around the world in 79 days on a bicycle. On a bicycle? Yeah. He's a Brit. And in 2017, he started and finished his trip in Paris, and he passed through 16 countries and went 18,000 miles. And he beat the previous record by 44 days, so it was quite something. He oh, did it in 80 days? 79 days. I can't believe that. No. That's you could do that on a bicycle, 79 eight, days. 18,000 miles. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm tired. I want to take a break. <laughs> okay, time to take a break. All right, you're listening to The Off-Ramp. With Bob. And Marcia. Wait a minute. That's not right. <laughs> Go with it, Bob. Uh, with, okay, Smith.
We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back with the off-ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Marcia, I have a history question about an American city. What U.S. city got its name from a club for Revolutionary War officers? This is in the Midwest. Yeah, I don't know. I'll give you three names. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. St. Louis, uh huh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, or Detroit. I will say Cincinnati. That's exactly right. That's right. I knew it. It was originally named Losanti, and it kept that name for two years until 1790. That was the year that the Northwest Territories' first governor, General Arthur St. Clair, named it Cincinnati after the Society of Cincinnati. That was formed by officers of the Continental Army at the end of the American Revolution. The Officers Club was named after Cincinnatus, who was、oh, a Roman general. I've heard of him. Who saved Rome in 458 B.C. Okay. So, Bob, what city dyes its river green every St. Patrick's Day? Oh, that must be Dublin. Oh no! Wait a minute. Chicago does、oh, that. Good for you. Yes, yes. Chicago in the United States、yes. does that. And you should know that because they talk about it every year here, and it's coming up. And there, you know what it takes: forty pounds of green vegetable dye. That doesn't seem like much. It doesn't. Does it? Pretty intense dye. Yeah, I don't know how big a swath of river it is, but in Dublin they celebrate St. Paddy's Festival for four days. Wow, <laughs> they're serious about it. They're very serious. Very serious. Yeah, makes Chicago look like Pikers, I think. Okay, I've got some expressions. I want you to tell me where they came from. Okay. okay. When somebody says you have your work cut out for you, uh huh. Where does that come from? Well, is it go back to carpenters? It goes back to sewing. Oh, when you make patterns, and you have to cut the pattern. You're on the right path. It's the expression comes from tailoring. To do a big sewing job, all the pieces of fabric are cut out before they get sewn together, and it seems like if your work has been cut out for you, it would make the job、oh, easier. Yes. But we don't use the expression that way. Oh、see? no, we use it the opposite. We think of it in、way. a negative way. Oh, you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> Lots of stuff to do there. Okay, heard it through the grapevine. Where did that come from?、Uh, Wilson Pickett. Well, yeah, <laughs> the singer, right? The expression actually goes back to the 1850s, the telegraph era, where the telegraph was a straight line of communication from one person to another. A grapevine telegraph was a message passed from person to person with some unlikely twists along the way. Oh yeah, I'll be darned. You know,、uh, here's a quickie. What is the only animal? That can see both infrared and ultraviolet light. Ooh, I never thought of that. Of it, course, an、did. animal that can see ultraviolet light. Is this something and, in the sea by any chance? It's in water. It is in water. Yeah, but not in the sea. Well, the, is it in the ocean? It's a goldfish. Oh, okay. No. But, <laughs> so they, they can see ultraviolet light as well as regular light. Yeah, they're the only animal in the world. Wonder what the purpose of that was. I don't know. Why did God do that? <laughs> what plans did He have for goldfish that we aren't? A, <laughs> Why did God? We do don't that? know. You know. Oh, brother. Okay. Okay. I have an interesting little story here. Unless you're wealthy enough to, you know, buy a watch for oh, let's say eight grand or one hundred seventy-three thousand dollars, you probably didn't know about this. But when you want to wear a piece of history. Tragic history—that's how much it can cost. What kind of tragic history am I talking about? Any idea? A piece of tragic history. Think of the big tragedies in the 20th century. Yeah. Think of the one that captured everybody's imagination because it was deep under the sea. 
Oh, it sank. Titanic. The Titanic, right. Well, I didn't know this, but up until recently, there was a Swiss company, RJ Watches, or Romain Jerome Watches, that sold an exclusive Titanic DNA watch. It was a big steampunk type of timepiece. Yeah. High-end mechanical watches integrating real steel and coal from the Titanic from the ocean floor. Can you believe this? The company purchased a piece of the hull weighing about three pounds that was retrieved in 1991. They didn't identify the seller. The metal was certified authentic by the Titanic's builders, Harlan and Wolf, and then the watch dial was painted black with a lacquer that contained coal dust recovered from the debris field. So this is their selling point, huh? This is their... (laughs) And they started difference. these watches were selling they were selling in 2007 at prices ranging from $7,800 to $173,100. If you were that wealthy you might want a piece of the Titanic to wear on your wrist. People are so stupid. Isn't it awful? <laughs> now the it company is. said the combination of new and old materials infused the watches with a sense of renewal. Instead of representing a reminder that 1,500 people died Yeah, it's on a that catastrophe. Ship. Here's a reminder of a huge catastrophe and two, death. Two years later, they did something more positive. They marketed a moon dust DNA watch made of metal fibers from the Apollo 11 spacecraft. How did they get that? And moon dust. But the novelty didn't last. After 16 years, the controversial company declared bankruptcy in February 2020. That comes from Are You Kidding Me, a book <laughs> written <laughs> by Harry Bright and Jacob Answer. Yeah, can you believe that? Yeah. Titanic watches. Yeah. I the moon dust thing is, has a... Has that's a, positive. Has an interesting look But I couldn't put something like that on my wrist. No. Can you imagine doing that? No, thing? I cannot. Me neither. Okay, according to the big book of answers. Okay. All right. Why do we come backwards to launch a rocket into space. Oh, that comes from a motion picture that was done years ago. In the like in the silent days or something, they had a countdown on this <sighs> film, right? Yes. What the hell? Oh, How did I you know these that? things. I learned these things. Yes, and I, you tell do. me the story. All right. The countdown apparently was introduced by German film director Fritz Lang in his 1928 movie Rocket to the Moon. He used the backward count, 10, 9, 8, sort of thing, to increase (laughs) the suspense for the liftoff. And, uh, you know, years later, uh, it was just picked up by... uh, By NASA. I was going to (laughs) say. Isn't it interesting? So it's actually not Hollywood, per se. It was a German filmmaker, but film. The film industry influenced how we count down a a rocket going to the moon or wherever. And they were saying it really doesn't make sense to count up to a number because uh, it doesn't have precision because you could just keep going. So you count down and you hit zero and that's that. There you go. Okay, I've got a couple tragic questions today. This is my second <laughs> You're full one. full of tragedy yeah, today, Yeah, yeah, dear. whatever. What was ironic about the tragic death of the poet Hart Crane? Tell me. Hart Crane committed suicide. He jumped off an ocean liner in 1923. He was a modernist poet. But okay. the irony was this fellow who jumped off of a ocean liner to his death, his father was Clarence Crane, who invented Lifesaver candies. Oh, in the shape of, of a life preserver. That's exactly wow. right. Yeah, Clarence the dad became very wealthy with candies, while Hart the son shifted from advertising copywriting to being a modernist poet, and he died in the Gulf of Mexico at the age of 32. But his dad invented lifesaver candies. Yeah, kind of a gold tragic sort of little thing. thing. Yes. Okay. How did Oz 
get the name in The Wizard of Oz. Well, that was from a filing cabinet. Alfred, boy, you are on a roll today, Bob. <laughs> it was a filing cabinet with O to Z, and he thought, I'll just call it Oz. Yeah, it came from his imagination, author L. Frank Baum made up the story for his son and a group of children in 1889. And when a little girl asked him the name of this magical place where the scarecrow, lion, and tin man lived, he looked around his room for inspiration. And he was sitting next to his file cabinet with the drawers labeled A to G, H to N, and O to Z, (laughs) which gave him the quick answer of Oz. Oz. See, now that just shows you inspiration is all around it you. It is. That is, I thought, oh, I'd heal Baba like this, but you knew that. I'm sorry. Well, I read a book on the making of the Wizard of Oz movie a number of years ago, and they really got into L. Frank Baum. And people don't realize that was like a Harry Potter book series back at the turn of the 20th series? century. Yeah, a whole series of books about Oz. And then he merchandised that into movies and plays, and there were stage plays of no The Wizard kidding. of Oz. No it all started with uh, stories for his kids. Yeah, and it was like Harry Potter books. It was that kind of a wizard you, and everything. You did that, but we're not fabulously well, rich. Well, it just told stories about the Smith family. That's not that. <laughs> yeah, I, I made up stories about uh, Smith ancestors, stories yeah. <laughs> of things I knew about the pioneers and the cabins they lived in yes. and all that kind what of stuff. What did our kids always say? Tell us about when you were little. Tell us about when you were little. I was born in a little log hospital my father built. There you go. Then your story, exactly. (laughs) A little log hospital your father built. All right. All right, Marcia, what happens when German shepherds stick their heads out of car windows? There's a sensation they get, and something's actually going on in their heads. Not decapitation. No. Okay. Uh, Something, well, they're probably getting a, they're getting a, uh, well, like they're getting that buffering, or something? that buffering. I don't know. It's probably soothing to have the wind in your face. Well, here's the answer, Marsh. Thank you. They Put get me out of my They mystery. get high. They get high? They get high. A German shepherd's sense of smell is 30,000 times more <sighs> acute than a human's. Yeah. And when a German shepherd sticks its head out the window of a moving car, it's exposed to so many smells, it experiences a high equivalent to a human being being on cocaine. Oh, my God. And you ever notice they do hold their head up a bit, like they're sniffing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, now, German, that's... now, German shepherds, I don't know about the other yeah. breeds well, of dogs. All, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Again, that comes from the book, Are You Kidding Me? And I'm going to wrap my side up by saying a uh, nod of the head to Duval Hecht, a man who gave readers something new to listen to. He died at the age of 91. He's the guy who came up with the idea for books on tape, which led to audiobooks, which led to streaming of books and Uh novels. Do you know what his inspiration was? Books for the deaf? He used books for the deaf because he had a very long commute every day, over an hour in California to drive. And at one point, he put a tape recorder in his car, and he was listening to books for the deaf. And then he realized there's not a whole lot of uh, variety in these. I'm going to find some other books. And he started recording people doing books on tape. And then he got all these contracts. Well, brilliant. What year was that? That was 1975, I believe, he launched it. You think that would have been around longer? Craving intellectual stimulation during his rush hour commute between his home in Newport Beach and his office in Los Angeles. Today, he also has the off-ramp he can listen to for stimulation. Well, no, he just died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's why I'm telling you about oh, this. I see. Duvall Hecht, who invented books on tape and led to all the, you know, the podcasting and yeah, everything we have yeah. today, came from Got that. Got the ball rolling. Yeah.
All right, I got two quotes I'm going to finish up with here. Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. And uh, and a fun one from Sir Winston Churchill. Okay. I like pigs. Dogs look up to us. Cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. (laughs) (laughs) Sir Winston Churchill. He's got a million of them. He did have a million of them. (laughs) And his granddad was the king of Wall Street. (laughs) What a fascinating transition. We just go all just the way big, back to the beginning. Just a big donut, just okay. wrap it all up together. We want to remind you, we would love to have any questions that you can send to me that I can stump Marsha with or vice versa. Just go to our website, theofframp.show, scroll all the way down to contact us and leave your information. We'd love to hear from you. All right, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating trivia on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. We hope you join us when we return next time for more fun facts on The The Off-Ramp. We love doing The (laughs) Off-Ramp. Okay. You're all by yourself. All right, all right. Just making a fool of yourself. (laughs) You know you say that in your sleep. (laughs) The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.